The following is a presentation of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church and Pastor Chris Tice. For more audio and video content, please check us out on the web at www.opendoornj.org. I hope today, uh, no matter where you find yourself as you've come into the body, uh, uh, as you're here for the worship time, I hope today that you individually know exactly what your relationship status is with God that you know between you and God who you are in Jesus Christ. I hope that you are in Christ. I hope that you know Christ. I hope that you have uh, heard the gospel and received by faith the truth that Jesus Christ came into the world and he took the sins of humanity on himself and he died for our sins that we might know the Father, that we might know God, that we might have a relationship with him. This is all of the grace of God. None of us deserve salvation, but it is all found in the Lord Jesus Christ. That should cause those that know that message to rejoice in gratitude and thanksgiving. That should cause those that don't know to be excited and encouraged to the good news uh, that Jesus Christ loves you and that he gave himself for you so that you could know God. But I hope individually, every person in the room, young and old, that you know your relationship with God and that you are sure of that relationship, uh, not because of some religion or some works or your church status, but because you are truly in a daily relationship with Christ and you have the presence of the Spirit in your life. If the Holy Spirit resides in you, trust me, you know. You know that. That's something that we, uh, God can't move into our lives without us knowing, without change uh, happening, with something taking place in our lives. As we look at verse number nine here and we talk about these gospel motivations for service or the motivation, verse nine gives us three imperatives. He says, be sincere in your love uh, towards each other. He says, let love be without dissimulation. Have real love. Don't be a phony in your love. Don't be fake in your love. Sometimes if we're not careful, we allow kind of what we understand socially about church to give us this phony surface fake type of love that is just kind of like Sunday morning only love for each other. That's not what the Bible's talking about. It's a sincere love And he says, let your love be like that. Let it be sincere. He says, hate evil, cling to good. And all of of these uh, things tell us what it means to live a life that truly is about love. And he tells us that we're, uh, that, that we're told that our love must be true to our hearts. He says literally the word sincere, unhypocritical. We're to not be phony in our dealings with people. Uh, we're not to be polite, helpful, and apparently warm on the outside while despising people on the inside or disliking people on the inside or not having patience for people on the inside. And that's important, I think, because in a culture of niceness, that we often understand, it can develop within the church or any community that emphasizes traditional values, a veneer of pleasantness that covers over a spirit of gossip, a spirit of backbiting, a spirit of prejudice. And there's an absence of tough love in which people would love each other enough to confront problems and sins in themselves and their friends. Real love, sincere love, is the kind of love that allows us to speak the truth. It's a a kind of love that allows us to love each other through hard times and through good times. It's a kind of love that allows us to love each other through differences. It's the kind of love that brings sincere forgiveness and restoration to the body. And this is the love, the sincere type of love, the unhypocritical kind of love that the Bible calls us to. And then he says here in the same verse, 
we're told both negatively to hate and positively to cling. That our love, in other words, must be true to the will of God. That how we love is not the way that those that don't know Christ love. Uh, uh, We love in a different kind of way. In other words, those that have true love also hate the things that are evil. Because if love clings to that which is good, it must let go of that which is evil. And, And furthermore, it must protect itself against that which is evil. I would submit to you that those of you who truly love your children understand this uh, pretty basically. You understand that in loving your child, you, you love the things that are good for them and you hate the things that are bad for them. You protect them from things that could harm, harm them or hurt them, even the things that they may desire. How many have learned that children and young people often may even desire things that are harmful to them? And as parents, we show love. When How many know that love says yes, but love also knows how to say no? Love, uh, love uh, rewards and gives blessing, but love also knows how to chasten and discipline. Love is stubborn uh, about those things that are evil in keeping us from those things that are evil, but love... Is, is freeing in the sense of releasing me to do those things that are good. The love of God frees me to do the will of God. Are you with me? That's the freedom that I have in the Lord Jesus Christ. This kind of grace that is, is, is often spoken about loosely and undefined and often compared to the culture that we live in is the kind of grace that gives us license to live how we want, license to do that which is evil, and that is not the grace of God. The grace of God that brings salvation teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust and live godly and soberly and righteously in this present world. God's love doesn't release me to do things that harm me and separate me uh, in fellowship from other believers, in fellowship from God. And sin separates us, doesn't it? It divides us. It, It causes prejudice within us. It causes hurt and harm. We have all been touched by the separating power the, the negative power, the derogatory power of sin, all of us. We understand how it hurts our own minds and how it hurts our own hearts and how it taints our own feelings and how it robs us of hope and how it keeps us from peace. And so he's saying, you, you hate the things that are evil and you cling, you literally glue yourself inseparately to what God calls good. Not what I call good, but what God calls good. We define as believers right and wrong as God defines it to us in His Word. We don't have our own definitions for good. We don't don't come into the body of Christ and say, well, I think this is good and I think this is bad. Uh, It is not for a pastor or any person to be the, the, the declarative source for that which is evil and that which is good. It is for all of us as a body to look to the Scriptures and say, what does God say is good? What does God say is evil? And what God calls evil, we call evil. And what God calls good, we call good. Why is this so important? Because when we love someone, it often distorts our view of good and evil. Song lyrics capture the problem. They tell us things like, if loving you is wrong, I don't want to be right. If if it can't be wrong, if it feels so right. In other words, if you love someone, your heart is bound up with a love for that person in such a way that Anything even, even that the scriptures would say would be wrong. How many know that if it feels good, do it is not good, sound, biblical advice. It's bad advice. 
But often we're drawn away of our own lust, the Bible says, and we're enticed. But in the body of Christ, there is the kind of love that we have for one, one another, that we love each other enough to speak the truth. But not only to speak the truth, but to live the truth. To live the truth. Sometimes if we're not careful, we can find ourselves being just the judge of someone else's sin and never judging our own sin. The Bible would give us the instruction that we should judge ourselves first. We should be the example first. And how many know that none of us are going to be the perfect example? We've all sinned and fallen short. But who is our perfect example? Jesus. And so we point to Jesus and we follow one another in example as we're following the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when we look at love, there's a kind of love that God gives us. And before I talk about the kind of motivator to service that we have, which is real love, I think it's important just at the beginning for us to define what real love is. And so that's what we're doing right here at the beginning as the scriptures do that for us. It may seem strange to tell someone to love and to hate in the same sentence, but that's exactly what Paul does here. We cannot love rightly without hating rightly. A gardener cannot love his plants without hating the weeds that destroy them. Uh, we, we cannot look at uh, everything and say, well, I love all things. God doesn't tell us to love all things. God tells us to love that which is good. God tells us to abhor or to hate those things that are evil. And can I say, you, say to you that God hates wickedness. God hates sin. He hates sin so much that His Son was sacrificed on the cross in a torturous way, and God's wrath was poured out on Him, and He was separated from the Father for the first time ever in eternity past, and eternity present, for all of eternity. The first time the Father was separated from the Son as Jesus became sin for us, who knew no sin, a perfect sacrifice. The sin of our sin was laid on him, and he was separated from God, and we see how God hates sin when we look at the cross. We understand God's hatred for sin. But then we also understand in reflection God's infinite, pure, holy, righteous love for us. How much he loves us. So God's law reveals the way in which our world and our souls were designed to disobey God's law is always bad for the church. To disobey God's commands is always bad for the church. As we talked about last week, the love language, we talked about our different love languages. The love language that God has is, if you love me, keep my commandments. That's God's love language. If you want to know how, love, how to love God, keep his word. That's what Jesus taught us. Now, he didn't tell us, if you keep my commandments, I'll love you. He already loves us. That's why we have the ability to love him back. But if you want to know how to show love to God, keep his word, keep his commandments. Not, for, not to be saved, not to enter into a relationship with him, but rather as an expression of gratitude, as a reasonable service, as Paul lays out in the first two verses of this chapter, as a response to his transformative gospel love for us. And this kind of selfish love is, is, is any love, rather, that is afraid to confront the beloved is not real love, but, selfish, but a selfish desire to be loved. In other words, all of us have a desire, myself included. Listen, what keeps often pastors from touching on subjects, and some of them publicly so, 
from subjects within the context of Scripture is a desire to be loved by people. And if I speak the truth, I'm opening myself up to people not liking me as a person. And what God says to those messengers who preach His word is that you have no right to alter the truth to gain love to yourself, but rather show your love to God and your devotion to God by speaking God's truth in love. Graciously uh, building up, uh, edifying uh, believers, building us up in the Lord Jesus Christ. And sometimes there are things to say that are hard to say, but love is able to speak those hard things. Love is able to confront those things. How many know that love doesn't avoid topics? Love confronts them. Love doesn't avoid problems. Love answers them with solutions. And God has an answer to every problem that is in our life. And I think we'd all say the number one problem we all have categorically is sin. And God has an answer for that. A selfish love is afraid, not real love. It's afraid to do that which is right towards God and to the church. And if it risks losing the beloved's affection, it makes an idol out of acceptance. It makes an idol out of a desire to be loved. It says, I'll do anything to keep people loving me. This is not loving people. It is loving yourself. It is a desire to be loved instead of a desire to love. Jesus was willing to be hated so that we could be loved. Did you get that? Jesus was willing to be hated so that we could be loved. Jesus was willing to be uh, uh, tortured so that we could have peace. Jesus went through those things. And so love is self-sacrificial. Any love that cuts corners morally or fails to confront is not really love. True love is willing to confront even to lose in the short run if there's a chance of helping someone in the long run, if there's a chance of rescue in the long run. And so here's a big question for us. How can we love unlovely people. I know there's no unlovely people here. I know everybody here just fully loves each other sincerely. There's no phoniness, no hypocrisy. We chuckle because we understand the facades that often we wear even in religious circles. How can we love unlovely people? How can we love people who we don't like? and yet still be sincere. It's hypocritical to act lovingly when you despise someone in your heart. It's hypocritical to look at someone and say, I love you, when in your heart you can't stand them. You're not being sincere. Here's the gospel way. A Christian, here's the motivation. A Christian goes about doing love. Why? Because they've been commanded to do it. To be like Christ, to love like Christ. How many know there's a lot of things we do in our Christian life as a result of God's instruction to us, and our love for God compels us to obedience, and so we do what God says even if we don't feel it. How many know it's a terrible way to live your Christian life by your feelings? None of us would be here today. Now, I understand that there are some days that we're feeling good. I don't know if this is one of those days for you. Some of you look uh, happy today and other, other, others of you look intense on some level. I would use that word. Maybe you just intently look. I know in New Jersey we don't have resting faces that are pleasant. 
our, our normative, socially acceptable New Jersey face is one of a scowl or, you know, don't, don't, don't come at me, bro. You know, don't, you know, you know, you understand if you come at me, I'm going to bring something to you. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to be taken advantage of. Don't think about, don't dream about cutting me off on the road. Don't, don't, don't take my spot. Church, don't take my pew. You know, uh, there will be a price to pay. What's your angle? You know, we're always, when people come to us, and they say nice things to us. Yeah, what do you want from me? You know, uh, you know, I, you know we, we, somebody, you know, you text people, they get mad at you. I'm praying for you. I love you. What do you mean by that? You know, we, we kind of, we're, we're prepped to that in our society. Because we understand that people, by their nature, try to take advantage of us. And so we kind of bring that into the church sometimes. And we have this attitude sometimes. It's, it, it's unrealistic to insist that one's heart be warm and kindly disposed before we do actions of love. In other words, I understand that I, I would desire that we would all serve with a heart. Listen, I desire that we would all today worship with a heart that is warm towards the Lord and loving towards the Lord. But here's what I'm saying today is whether your heart is that way or not, you should still worship. You should still worship. And sometimes our feelings follow our obedience. Sometimes God changes us as we obey Him, as we give ourselves, as we give up of our desires and we crucify the flesh with its affections and with its, with its lusts and we lay them aside to do the will of God. That's when God changes us in, inwardly. And it's not a fake love. It's not a facade love. But the gospel way is we go about doing love while repenting. Literally, softening the heart through the recollection of Christ's sacrifice for us. We love and we say, God, forgive me for not loving others as purely as you love them. God, I understand that I am not fully in my heart loving people the way I should love them, the way that you love them, but I'm going to love them and while I do it, I'm repentive in my heart. I'm saying, God, change my point of view, change my heart, change my desires, fill me with your love, empty me with love for self, give me love for others and love for people. And listen, that's a constant process. Don't wait to serve until you feel like serving. Serve the Lord with gladness. It's a command. God says to do it, and then guess what happens as we do that? If we're repenting in our hearts, say, God, I'm not all of what I should be. God, I'm not all that I, I need to be, but God, I'm, I'm trusting you as I obey you that you're going to change me and change my heart and give me genuine love for people the way that I should. It's a confession and a repentance of hip hypocrisy and the facades that often uh, uh, predicate all the things that we uh, do within the body. And it's casting that off intentionally because we understand that it is naturally present within us. If Christians think of this as uh, they're serving unattractive people, they will find a repentance growing. Oh Lord, I was so much more unattractive to you than this person is to me. Yet you were tortured and killed. You gave up your life for me. I was more unforgivable than this person is unforgivable. God, I was far more unattractive than this person is unattractive. I was far more annoying. I was far more callous. I was far more dry. God, I was, I was in the depths 
of despair. I was dead in my trespasses and sins in comparison to my dislike of this person. God, you should have rejected me. You should have cast me into hell. God, I should have been condemned, but yet you plucked me up out of the miry clay. You set my feet upon a rock. You established my goings. You put a new song in my mouth and praise to my God. And God, even though I don't have the feelings naturally within me, God, I'm submitting to your spirit. All I need to do is give up some time and effort for this person. Sacrifice the way you sacrifice. A person who does not understand the gospel has no ability to do this. The gospel brings repentance, yes? It changes our minds in every area of our lives. There are not some areas that we need repentance. All areas need a change. God is talking about transformation, as we talked about last week, not confirmation. We're not conforming to the world, but we're also not conforming to a new moral code or, or, or religious law that's going to change us. We're being transformed from the inside out by the wonderful, amazing grace of God that brings salvation to us and makes us have the mind of the Lord Jesus Christ as we possess the life and the Spirit of Christ. A person who is just generally moral and nice cannot do this. They have to choose between two inadequate alternatives, either phony love, niceness towards people you don't like. And by the way, you can do that for an hour on Sunday. You might be able to do that, on, you, you know, just maintain that. You know, I can go down and, you know, I can be around people that I don't like or people that I don't like, be, uh, like to be around. I can serve in certain capacities. I can do charity duties. We're not talking about people who go and take pictures when they donate their money to a place so they can be seen kind of with the lower people, that there could be a commercial about all the good things that they're doing for society with what they have. We're talking about this is not to benefit me. This is not to make me more lovable to society. This is not to make me more endearing to my fans. This is not to make me more popular when I receive the awards for the awesome things that I do. This is for Christ alone. This is not eye service as men pleasers, but servants of the Lord doing the will of God from the heart. Someone who does not and has not by faith received the gospel has no ability within them to do this. They scratch their head and say, well, I can try better. I can push more. I can donate more, I can do a little bit more, but in their heart there's no love, there's no desire, there's a phoniness that comes. Or the other alternative is a sporadic love, kindness only towards people you like. How many have figured out that that's pretty easy to do? And also that list can change pretty rapidly. You can like people. The Bible says, Jesus said, what thank have ye if you're kind to the people that are kind to you? What what?" What gratitude should be shown to you if you're good to people that are good to you? If you respond in kind to people all the time, are you truly living the life of Jesus? Do you have a power within you that gets us to the end of the chapter to where I can do good to those that are pouring evil out on me? That I can literally pour out good on their heads? Now, there's a lot of things that we'd like to do to their heads the people that are hateful, the people that are mean, the people that are spiteful, 
The world is full of them. Go on the internet. It is a reflection of society. It is a reflection of what the world is like and what people are like. Say something to someone kind, you'll receive kind words. Confront someone with truth, you may not always receive uh, kindness in return. People may not always like what we have to say when we say the truth. But that also doesn't give us uh, this, this wonderful ability sometimes that Christians have on the internet uh, to just be a truth speaker that, you know, is constantly divisive, constantly stirring up strife. Just, you know, I'm just speaking truth, but not having any love, not having any desire to help people in the process, but a desire to actually make yourself out to be more popular as a person who speaks truth because that's a popular person sometimes in society too, the edgy person who says edgy things all the time, truthful things, but has no distinct desire to really help people with it. Jesus didn't walk around hurting people with truth. He walked around helping people with truth. He walked around with a desire to love people with the truth, even when it was inconvenient. If we're looking to speak the truth to gain reaction or response from those who disagree with us, we're not loving people with the truth. If we're looking to help, truly in our hearts, help people. We go out and share the gospel, not so that we can make people mad at us. We share the gospel because we love people and we want to share the truth of God's word with them as God has commanded us to love people and share the good news of the gospel. But if you show love as you repent, your heart is softened as you serve. Your, sincere, your service is sincere towards God at that moment and becomes more sincere towards the person as you go along. So what does love look like? Well, let me give you these in the time that we have left. What does love look like? Real love is committed. Real love is doggedly committed. Look at verse number 9. Let love be without the simulation. Devotion. He says in verse 10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. This is a different kind of love, brotherly love. It's why in the church we use terms like brother and sister. Why do we do that? Because we are being honest about who the people that we gather are. Truly, are you with me? We are brothers and sisters. In Jesus, which is an eternal family that goes beyond our temporal earthly family. In other words, we are speaking to, we are fellowshipping with people who will be part of the same family with us for all of eternity because of Christ. When we say brother, when we say sister, we're not trying to be weird, we're trying to be honest that we're brothers and sisters in Jesus. The Bible consistently uses the word brethren, brethren, brothers. It's talking about that kind of familial love that we have or should have as believers for each other. It's a doggedly committed love. If you want to see love in action, look at a family. A family will stick up for each other. A family will protect each other. And by the way, if you didn't have the privilege of being part of a family that was like this, you do now in the body of Christ. In other words, we protect each other. We regard each other. We pray for each other. We care about each other. Listen, there's this day and age that we live in where people want to attend a church with having no accountability at all to the people they go to church with. In other words, I just want to be able to go and I want to be able to leave and I don't really want people to wonder whether I'm here, whether I'm not here. Listen, what kind of family is that? A family wonders when we, when we don't see each other. 
A family wonders what's happening. Listen, it's not so that we can keep track and own each other and control each other and, and get on. Listen, I understand what happens sometimes in those kind of environments. But in a family, if something happens to you, shouldn't we care? Shouldn't we care? Shouldn't, shouldn't a pastor care for the, the people? Shouldn't the people care for the pastor? Shouldn't the, shouldn't the people care for each other? Shouldn't that be genuine in such a way that we'd say, hey, what's going on with your life? Are you hurting? Are you sick? Are you, are you shut in? Are you, are you, are you, is, is, are you ailing? Is, listen, I'm reaching out because I, I care about you. We're supposed to love each other. Listen, I, I'm with you. It would be far more convenient if we could just forget about each other. It would be far more convenient if the only regard that we needed to have for one another was just to sit in a service with each other once a week, and that is the only true regard. But what kind of brotherly love is that? Do you care about your family members? Do you care about what's going on in their lives? Do you, care, do you care about what's happening to them? Do you care about whether they're sick or whether they're in the hospital or whether there's a surgery going on? Or whether, don't, shouldn't we pray for each other? Shouldn't we visit each other? Shouldn't we eat together? Shouldn't we spend time together? Shouldn't we want to? Isn't that what brotherly love is? The Bible says that this kind of love in the congregation is doggedly committed to each other, like a blood-related family. Paul is saying that we should love one another as if we're related. Family relationships are essential. Can I say this to you? The church is an essential relationship for every Christian. The church is an essential. It's, not, it's, just not, it's, not, it's not what's being promoted in the world today. The church is not something you can do on your own. The church is not something you can do by yourself. The church is something that God has called us all into. The body that we have, there are not, listen, as we talked about last week when we talked about the members, you're not the appendix. Whether you're there or not, it doesn't matter. Nobody really knows what you do. So we can take you out and the body's fine moving on without you. But I'm telling you today, all of us, even the appendix, if you are that, we're needed to be together. We're all part of the same family. We need each other. We have to push forward together. Listen, I don't know about you, but it is not an easy world to walk and, and follow Christ in. Is this an easy world to follow Christ? To live for Jesus? I mean, wholeheartedly say that's radical. Listen, all Christianity is radical Christianity. Real Christianity. It's what, it's what the world would say is radical. You mean you actually... Not only do you go to church, but you read your Bible? Who reads their Bible? Isn't that what the priest is supposed to do for you? Isn't he supposed to tell you what it means? What are you doing reading the Bible? Because you need it. Because you need it. Like you need food every day. You need the Word of God. We need fellowship. The Bible calls us to it. And all true believers have a love for the brethren. All true believers have a love for the brethren. Listen, if you claim the life of the Lord Jesus Christ and you have no love for God's word, meaning I'm not talking about love for God's word like you would say you love it. I'm talking about love for God's word like you live like you love it. You know what living like you love God's word looks like? Opening it, studying it, meditating on it, reading it, dwelling in it, thinking on it, just staying in it, studying it, discussing it and teaching it. That's what loving God's word looks like in the life of a Christian. Do you love God's word? The Bible says that all true believers 
have a love for the church. You know what a love for the church looks like? A faithfulness to it, a gathering with it, a fellowship with it, a desire to be with it, a want to be around. Listen, and, and I'm identifying this to you. Read the book of 1 John. You'll find these elements right there for how we can know we have eternal life. If you claim to know Jesus because you prayed a prayer, but you don't love God's word and you don't love the church, you're okay with gathering every once in a while, but you don't have a real sincere love. Listen, I would say, God, do I truly know you? Have I truly entered into a relationship with you? Do I just have an educational knowledge of who God is or have I truly received the spirit of God? The spirit of God drives us to each other. There are other spirits that divide us, but God's spirit unites us. And we're to endeavor to keep the unity of, the bond of peace, the unity of God's spirit that he delivers to us. I understand that this may not be what the commercial church looks like today, what the business-driven, oriented, demographic-ridden church looks like today, what the entertainment-purpose-driven church looks like today. I'm saying to you, this is what the simplicity of what the family of God looks like and what the church needs to come back to in revival because people need a real church, a real church. Listen, I'm thankful. My wife's away. She's she's in San Diego. She's been gone for four days. I don't know if my kids are alive right now. If you follow me on social media, you saw I at least made the bed. I got to FaceTime with my wife. I talk to her every day. I text her every day. But I'm telling you right now, when I pick her up at 5 a.m. tomorrow morning, I'm going to have real fellowship with her. There's going to be real connection. You can't do church online. You can't social media church. You, you, you can't just connect through. Listen, these are wonderful means for which, which us to get information across. But let me tell you today, you know it, you experience it. There's nothing like being with people we love, in person with them, touch, being around, embrace, expressions of love and service to each other. We need that in the world that we live in that is non-touch, that is non-in-person, uh, that is non-experiential. I'm thankful for all the avenues of the ministry that we have. Uh, we, we, we connect with all these guys, talking to them yesterday over at Africa. I'm sure Pastor Justin talked to them all week, some of you, uh, these guys that are over there. But in June when we go, I'm going to tell you, there will be real fellowship happening. And we just kind of over time, we got this online fellowship that we do but there's nothing like being together. Real love is committed. What is Paul saying? Christians who share common values are to be as doggedly devoted to one another as family members. And then what else does it mean? Well, this word devotion. How many know that this is a challenging description of Christian love for those of us who have been raised in individualistic cultures? We truly have been raised and are being raised and our children are being raised in individualistic cultures. If you don't know that, look at the average family sharing a meal out somewhere. Oh, there's people here? We want to be everywhere we're not. We want to be always with people we're not around. We're always saying to people, you're here with me, but I'd rather be with the people here. I don't want to be with the people I'm with. That's the world that we live in. And this is an individualistic society, a society that 
that says, listen, it's far better to be in this society that's individualistic where we're all about ourselves. And listen, don't, don't get me wrong, but can you examine yourself and put a circle around yourself for a minute and just say, has there been a point in this gathering today where I thought about someone else other than me, my wife, my own family? Have I thought beyond my own self? How many know children are selfish by nature? They don't care. Listen, and the younger they are, they don't care what they disturb. Some of you, you got newborns right now, you know exactly what that means. They don't care if they disturb whatever important moment that you're having. It's all about them. It's all about, listen, what, what am I doing? What, and listen, I have needs, and that's the individual. But when we mature, how many know that parents learn to give up the important things that they're doing to, to meet the needs of their children? You ever rush to meet the needs of somebody else while you were doing something important? Yes, sure. We understand that. Maturity understands that I give up what I'm doing to help somebody else. And this individualistic society that we live in needs to be pushed back against. There are some things in culture that need to be repudiated, and this is one of them. That we are not to be individualistic as a body of Christ, but we are to be many members of one body. Secondly, real love is putting others first. Real love is putting others first. Look at verse 10. We're told to what? In honor, preferring one another. You with me this morning, church? In honor, preferring one another. You know what that means? Putting others in a higher position than myself. It means to treat someone or something as valuable and precious. There's deep theological roots here to this statement. Christianity and Judaism understand that every human being is created in the image of God. Every human being, here's the theological truth, every human being on the planet, whether they recognize God or not, is an image bearer of God. Even when they say, I don't believe in God, their existence declares that there's a God. They are bearing the image of God. God made man in his image and his likeness. And every human being bears the image of God. And so every human being should be treated that way. Isn't that a greater motivator for just being kind to people because you have to? That's looking at every person and saying, this person bears the image of God. I love God. You ever look at somebody that looks like their, their children look like the parents or they remind you of somebody that you love? As you look at them, you can see that person. They're, they're bearing that image. You love them. You see that person in them. You know, we, we look at our children and we see the people that we love. We, we, we see the image, but even greater still, as we look at each other, we see the image of God. Isn't that great that every nation, tribe, language, people, tongue, race, culture bears the image of God so I don't have to like them in accordance with our likeness to each other, but in accordance with our likeness to God, that we are image bearers to God. So you know what that does away with? Racism, prejudice. It does away with the evils that are in our world that teaches people to love, uh, love people on the basis of similarity or in the basis of compatibility and to not like people who are not like you. 
But everybody can be loved because everybody bears God's image. Real love is putting others first. We were designed to bear resemblance to God in our rationality, in our personality, not just in the way that we look, in our rationale, in our personality, in our creativity, in our eternal soul. When you see a creative artist, a creative person, you know what they're doing? Bearing the image of God. Is there anyone more creative than God? Look at at the things in nature. Have you ever watched a nature show? Is there anyone more creative than God? You look at things in creation, and I do too, and like, what in the world? Why would God make that? Or what, the perp- what is the purpose? And God says, because I thought it was good. Because I wanted to. Because it brings me glory. That's why I made it. God is so creative. God has made all these things. Every time somebody sings a song, God is an artist. God is creative. God is a, a, a musician. God is a painter. God, God is is a lawyer. God is, listen, you think about all these things. God is these things. And we see God at work, not just in the way people look, but in their rationale, in their personality, in their creative, in their eternal soul, and so on. So each person we meet is infinitely precious. Each person we meet is infinitely important and should be treated as such. Honoring another above ourselves means to listen to the other person, to be aware of their hopes, their joys, their needs, their fears, to be considerate. In addition, when Christians see other Christians, they don't just see the image of the Creator, but they see the image of Christ. Isn't that the wonderful thing about being a Christian? Before you knew Christ, you already bore the image of your Creator. Now that you're in Christ, you bear the image of your Savior. You're now bearing another image. Another image has been stamped on you. That's why you're not to be conformed to any other image. Don't let anybody else stamp you with their image because you have been stamped. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. You have been marked as a Christian. And what is that mark? Christians will be known by their love that they have one to another. It's a mark of Christ, the mark of Christianity. So what do we see in that? We see the essence of love. And the essence of love is not to concentrate on our own image, position, and needs, but on the needs of others. That is the essence of God's love. To not concentrate on our own image, position, and needs, but on the image and the needs of others. So what does that look like, practically speaking, in the congregation? When we gather, I'm not gathering to posture my image. I'm not gathering to get people to concentrate and to look at me. We're not drawing attention to ourselves through the way that we dress. We're not drawing attention to ourselves through the way that we act. We're not trying to get attention to ourselves at all. As a matter of fact, we would be much more preferable if people just saw Christ but we understand that the necessity of our presence is that Christ is seen through us. And today, listen, we all have the opportunity to let Christ be seen in us. The way that we posture ourselves, for the way that we worship, through the way that we serve, the way that we regard each other, for the way that we consider each other, through the way that we provoke each other to love and to good works. And the essence of love is not to concentrate our own image Position needs, but on the needs of others. Number three, quickly, real love is patient. Real love is patient. Verses 11 and 12 give us really four imperatives that are really calls to patience. 
first, these two verses only seem to be about our relationship to God, but they're right in the mix, in the middle, in the context, speaking about our relationship to Christians. And Paul is exhorting us to use all of our spiritual resources. In other words, how many know if you're going to be involved in a relationship, it will ultimately require patience? Patience. How many have figured that out in marriage? If you haven't yet, you will. How many have figured that out in parenting? How many have figured that out in being a child in a parent relationship? Requires patience. Your parents. How many have figured it out without in the church? And listen, none of us should storm away from any one of us and say, I don't have time for that. I'm not here for that. What are you saying? I'm only here for what people can do for me, for how people treat me and how people regard me. I'm only here for the parts of things that make sense to me, the things that I love. No, no, we're laying aside culture. We're laying aside race. We're laying aside politics. We're laying aside everything when we come together except for our familial relationship in Jesus Christ. We didn't come to talk politics today. We didn't come to talk religion today. We didn't come to talk about things that divide us today. We're not here to talk about social ills today. We're not here to talk about current events today. We're here to talk about Jesus. And Jesus brings us together. But sometimes when people walk in the church, they hear everything but Jesus. They hear politics. They hear social ills. They hear current events. They hear weather. They hear sports. They hear everything. And they said, well, the pastor's going to preach in a minute, and they'll hear about Jesus then. Isn't it all of our responsibility to speak and to show and to bear the image of Jesus and to be patient with each other? Patient. All real relationships require patience. If you're in a relationship that requires zero patience, you don't have a relationship. Real relationships require patience. How many have figured out that God is infinitely patient with you. Infinitely patient with you. How many are glad that God is patient with you right now? As he hears your thoughts. I always love when we read the Gospels and Jesus perceiving what they were thinking. And Jesus knowing what they were thinking. Aren't you glad I don't know? Me too. And here's, I'm equally glad that you don't know what I'm thinking right now. It requires patience, real relationships. Paul's exhorting all of us to use our spiritual resources. We must keep our hope. We must be patient in all the troubles that we meet. We must address all of this continuing instant in prayer. How does this relate to Christian fellowship? Well, Paul just means that we're to be models to our brothers and sisters when we go through difficulties, but also that we're to meet the troubles of Christian relationships with patience and prayer. We're to meet the troubles of Christian relationships with patience and prayer. How many like this answer? Whenever some pastor, I, got, I, got, I need some advice from you. I was mistreated in this way. And you love when you hear this, just be patient. There has to be another answer. How do we deal with this person? Be patient. I don't have time. Be patient. Be patient. Be long-suffering, be gentle, be kind, be, be merciful, be like Christ. 
That is the answer. How many have figured that out? That is the answer. Whatever relational problem you're having right now, can I just exhort you? Be patient. Be patient. Don't fly off the handle. Don't lose it. Don't quit. Don't walk away. Just be patient. It'll come. You're parenting, be patient. You're married, be patient. Just be patient. Listen, church, be patient. Let's be patient with each other. And let's do it with the same resource of patience that God is resourced with, that He resources us with His Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience, right? Gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. God gives us all of these gifts. To be involved deeply in people's lives is hard work. To be involved, this, this is why people don't often want to be truly involved in a real church. You can find, listen, churches that are just experiences are a dime a dozen. Sunday morning experience is not a church. It's not about the Sunday morning experience. It's about the daily grind. It's about the daily grind. It's not about what happens on the platform. It's about what the people of the church, because the church is the people, are doing every day that makes a church special. If we are truly to have a real authentic church, it's going to be people who genuinely, without hypocrisy, with patience and dogged committed, doggedly committed to love each other as a family. Anybody have family members that get on your nerves? Aren't you glad Thanksgiving, Christmas come once a year? Listen, if we cannot love each other, how can we love those who hate us? If we cannot truly love each other, how can we love those that hate us? You say, well, we don't live in a world where Christianity is persecuted. Open your eyes. Open your eyes. A very skewed view, small view, country-only view of Christianity. There are people in this world dying for Christ dying for Christ, suffering for Christ. You say, well, that won't happen in our country. Be careful. Be careful. Moment by moment, Christians are giving up, giving up the rights that people fought to give them. Well, Sunday comes and Sunday goes, and we have better things to do. Every time we gather together, we say we exercise the wonderful right that we've been given to assemble peaceably to worship God. I'm thankful for that today. I'm thankful to be able to do that without fear of someone coming to shut us down. You don't wait until you get persecuted. Daniel went and prayed before it was illegal to pray. He did as he had done before. When the law is passed and says, we can't, we still will, but I'm going to tell you this, it's not going to be as easy. And we, we understand, I'm not trying to be doomsday, I'm not saying I hope that it gets that way, but I'm telling you today, the strongest church in church history has always been the persecuted church. We have been lulled to sleep through comfort. Lastly, and we're done. Real love combines feeling with action. Real love combines feeling with action. I used to say love is not a feeling, but I've understood that love is in some senses a feeling but it is not a feeling alone 
It is not a feeling alone. Love is not a feeling that fleetingly comes and goes. Love is a feeling that produces results. It produces action. They say compassion is passion that acts on what it sees. Jesus looked on the multitudes and he was moved with compassion. Let me ask you a question. As we live in a world that numbs us to sleep with everything it presents to us, everything is about shutting the mind off, everything is about fantasy, everything is about looking at things that don't move us, when's the last time you lifted your eyes and looked on humanity and was moved with compassion on them? That's what we need more of, especially in the church. People are dying. I'm not just trying to be just be showy today. The truth is people are dying. Every moment, people are dying. And the question the church should be asking is, have they heard the gospel? Have they heard the gospel? What right do I have to have heard the gospel dozens of times when people have yet to hear it? If they haven't heard, how shall they hear without a preacher? You say, I'm not a preacher. You may not be a pastor, but we are all preachers of the gospel. We're all to preach the gospel wherever we go. Real love combines feeling with action. What does it say? Well, it's almost like Paul was saying in verse 13, essentially, put your money where your mouth is. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. He says, provide things honest in the sight of all men. As much as life in you, live peaceably with all men. But look at verse 13. Distributing to the necessity of saints given to hospitality. We like to bury our heads in the sand so we don't have to lift our hands to meet needs. It is far easier to live your life. Listen, we come out of our house, into our garage, open our door, back our car out, go to another place, go inside. We are constantly... We're not in a culture that loves people just showing up uninvited. We're not in a culture. We're not in those cultures. Listen, I love going over places like Africa. You literally can walk in every single house, every single door, and they say, what are you here for? You say, I want to share the gospel. And they say, bring out chairs. Bring out chairs. Sit down. How long can you stay? An hour? Two hours? Three hours? That's not our society. That's not where we live anymore. People are not itching to spend time and to hear. What do they need? They need genuine love, Christ-like love. We need the church community. It is like no other community in our country, in our world. Real love combines feeling with action. It is is saying, share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Love is a call to service. It is a call to help others in need. It is a call to help others. It's a call to service. And then lastly, love is doing whatever it takes to give people whatever they need. What's love? Love is doing whatever it takes to give people whatever they need. That's what he's saying right here. What do people need? They need the gospel. But they don't just need the gospel. They need to grow in Christ. They need to know. They need to know the truth of God's word. Who's going to teach them? Listen, we live in church. Listen, we're happy to see Here's a question as we close. I love seeing people come to Jesus. I love seeing people receive Christ. I love seeing people hear the gospel and respond. 
But church, do we have a culture that's ready to disciple those people? What's discipleship? It's not a 12-week course. Although those help, they're good starters. But you know what discipleship is? It's life on life. It's sacrifice. It's showing and teaching somebody within the body of Christ what somebody taught you about what it means to be a Christian. It takes time, it takes effort, it takes energy, and it cannot be done by one person or a few people within the church. It needs to be done by everybody. That's why we need older people and younger people. We need to be a multi-generational, multicultural church, a group of people ready to meet the needs whenever they see it and to do it that it doesn't have to be organized by the pastor. It doesn't have to be on the church schedule. It doesn't have to be in the bulletin. Listen, if that's the way that we're living our life, it has to be calendared, programmed, event run, then it's just a corporation. We're a church. You see a need, meet the need. Fill the need. Love people. Help people. Serve people. We're not just saying do that on Sunday, but we're saying that's a good place to start because this is where we gather. This is where we meet. This is where we connect. And hopefully, we go on beyond that connection and we go and find others who need it. If God has used this ministry in any way to be a blessing to you, please take a moment to send us an email to info at opendoornj.org. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at opendoornj.org. Thanks for tuning in.